following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. You guys, this morning, this church has stood by us for the past, what, 22 years, I guess, the as the slideshow alluded to. Uh, you guys have been great, faithful church body behind us. We've served in different places in Africa, uh, amongst some unreached people groups, most recently at the Rift Valley Academy, where we were teaching and doing some of those things. And we look forward, we hope to continue on uh, with this partnership that we have with, with faith. Uh, as we look into the future, our main ministry, as you saw there in some of those final slides, is our outreach into Brazil. God is rearranging people groups around the world, and it turns out a lot of African people groups are moving to Brazil to work in their meat factories. And so because of these immigrants who are there, uh, Brazilians are turned on. The church has seen this opportunity, and there are missionaries working still within our mission, the Africa Inland Mission, reaching out to these Africans who are now in Brazil. And our mission has asked Sharon and I to take on the leadership role for the next two years to help get this effort going, uh, there are 15 uh, missionary adults who are working, and Sharon and I have the, the wonderful privilege, actually, of partnering with them, uh, helping develop some vision, some strategy, two to three trips a year down to Brazil, lots of Zoom conferencing calls, and, and just checking in with people, and so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, faith has been such a great church. Sharon and I have said this many times, we wish that we lived closer to faith. And I, I have a proposal for you, Pastor. I was wondering if there's like church on wheels where you guys could come to us. Uh, yeah, sometimes you might have to be church on boat or church on airplane, but we would love to have this church near us every Sunday. We love the depth and the, the warmth that we sense here. Oh, I think we'd benefit the most, but thank you for that. Well, uh, this morning, great privilege to share with you a little bit uh, from God's Word, and I recognize time is flying, so we're going to pray and we're going to jump into it. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you, uh, even while we were yet sinners, that Christ, you died for us. What greater expression of love is there than that? And so God, we, we humbly come before you this morning with grateful hearts, and Father, I pray that whatever is said uh, from here, uh, that it would be your words that are spoken, and that you would speak to us by your Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And these are Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous message that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to his followers. And here's what he says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Now, as we get going to take a better look at this passage, first of all, we need to understand what is the context. So here we have Jesus 
He is this rabbi that is coming up in Jewish society. He's performed miracles. Uh, he teaches with authority. He has around him a band of, of disciples who are now his, his very own disciples. And there are a lot of people that are interested in this new rabbi. We believe that the Sermon on the Mount probably took place on the hill slopes on the northwest, off the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, as a rabbi, probably was seated and his followers would have gathered around him. So if you can paint the scene, you have the lake, you've got the, the hill slope, Jesus with his followers around him. And this is the inaugural speech, really, of Jesus as king, telling us what he expects of members of his kingdom. The Beatitudes have just been spoken, and I think most of us are familiar with those Beatitudes, uh, outlining what God expects of a genuine follower of him, somebody whose heart is in line with God's heart. And at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus actually wraps up with the final Beatitude where he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. I think the understanding is that as you follow those godly characteristics of the Beatitudes, you can expect there's going to be persecution and suffering. And as humans, our natural response in that type of situation is to retreat, is to maybe even hide. We want to regroup and regather. But Jesus, in the passage that we just read, says to us that we are actually to go out into the world. It's counterintuitive. We are to go out into the world and be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world because we have a message of powerful transformation hope, life, and love in Christ. So we are to be the light of the world. Now, uh, I want us to take notice that the words spoken here are that you are the light of the world. And this is true of anyone who, whose heart is lined to follow those beatitudes that Christ has just spoken on the Sermon on the Mount, who has a heart to follow after God and obey His Word. And I would say for us today, especially, it means any one of us who are in Christ. Any one of us who have turned our hearts to Him, depending wholly on His sacrifice on that cross for our sins, to make us right with God. If that describes you this morning, and you are a Christ follower, then today, Jesus is saying to you, that you are the light of the world. This is your now new identity. Okay, It is not a case of uh, you will become the light of the world if you can just get an advanced seminary degree or if you can just get a, a course in evangelism and be able to spout out how many verses off of your heart. No, Christ is saying from the moment you received Him into your heart, into your life as Lord and Savior, you are now declared to be, your identity is, the light of the world. What a wonderful message that is as, as we think about that today. Now, a few observations about the world without light. Right, The absence of light is darkness. I don't know if any of you have ever been on maybe a camping trip where you've been out in the middle of nowhere. Hopefully you had a flashlight, but... Maybe you've been in a situation where your the electri electricity went out in your house and it's just been this dark, enveloping darkness. Uh, we've lived in places in Africa where one of the places we had to go 300 miles to cut to get to electricity. So uh, Sharon would keep 
Now, we did have solar panels, so don't feel too sorry for us. We were able to turn lights on. But at night, Sharon would always keep a flashlight in the bed because if she ever had to get up and go to the bathroom, it was kind of dangerous in the dark. You didn't know what creepy crawlies were out there. We had centipedes and scorpions, which were pretty dangerous. And I think all of us can identify and say that darkness is dangerous. You can bump into things. You don't know what kind of insects are out there. Um, and so we know that the world without light is a scary, is a dark, is a dangerous place. And I think the metaphor that Jesus is painting is just that, that the world without him is a very dark and dangerous place. Uh, there are two metaphors that Jesus uses in our text. He talks about light and he uses two different illustrations. Uh, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So for travelers who maybe were, were, were trying to walk at night, uh, unlike the movies where they always seem to have a, a big torch in their hands with a bright light, uh, more commonly probably, people as they tried to make up ground between distances between cities, they may have had to walk at night hoping for a little bit of moon, but maybe they didn't have that and they probably had to stumble their way through to get to where they needed to go. And you can imagine if they came up over a ridge and saw the glow on the horizon of a city, they would have been filled with hope and with uh, an orientation of their direction, of where they're going, of the expectation that soon they're going to have food and shelter. So the glow of a city on a hill would have been a wonderful thing that Jesus' listeners would have identified with. And from uh, archaeology, they have actually discovered uh, a city called Hippo Susita, which was on a mountain slope right off the shore of the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And they believe that pr maybe Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, would have just gestured toward this hill. A, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So this... These words would have rung very true to the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Uh, <clears throat> and then the second illustration that Jesus uses is regarding the lamps. He says that uh, when, they, when you have a lamp, you put it on a stand and you don't cover it up. So in ancient Jewish culture, uh, they would have had these small lamps. This is actually a replica. I was surprised how small it is. Apparently, this is the actual size. And they would have filled this base area with olive oil. And they have a small wick that would come out the spout. And they would light that and set it up on a stand and put it in the middle of the room. Of course, it would be ludicrous to cover that up in the middle of the room. It would have been dangerous, could have burnt whatever was on top of it, and would have enveloped the room with darkness again. That light in the room would have provided an ambience of warmth and of security for everyone in that room. And so these illustrations that Jesus uses are positive illustrations of what it means to be the light of the world. These metaphors emphasize that light is a very good thing. Now to Jesus' listeners, the, the metaphor of light would have had strong symbolic uh, ties to the Old Testament as well. They would have known that light was used extensively in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah uh, says in Isaiah 51 verse 4, my justice will become a light to the nations. And Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 says that nations will come to your light and kingdoms and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Matthew himself quotes Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 2 when he says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So to the Jews that were listening to Jesus, light would have symbolized revelation, truth, and love. And they would have quickly identified those ideas with the light metaphor. The world is pictured as a spiritually dark place. And we, as believers in Christ, have the light of the world in us. Sharon has a story that's going to help illustrate her understanding of how the light of the world came to us when we lived on the mission field. Good morning. Um, I always just yeah, feel so privileged to be back here in this church. We, we really appreciate you all. Um, I just wanted to share a little tiny glimpse of part of my story um, as a missionary wife um, living in Africa. Um, our first few years, um, you know, we started out, we were just talking about that this morning, um, we headed out with just little little babies, and um, and so living in a village um, was really challenging for me, and I'm afraid I went with lots of expectations because, like Pastor Colin pointed out this morning, I am a generational missionary. So I had a lot of expectations on myself. I also had a lot of expectation from churches in America that support us. <laughs> you feel like, I'm carrying this burden, um, I have to do this thing, and I have to be light. Um, and after about five years on the field with these little children, and you know, we started with one, and then another, and then another, and I was overwhelmed. I thought I can hardly make it through a day. My victory was I found food in the market that I could put on the table for my children. I was hot and sweaty all the time. I was frustrated so much of the time. I was struggling with language learning, and I thought, I can't do this job. I am a failure. I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, one day, um, our little town had been heating up politically. We lived, um, we were focused on a tribal people called the Mwani, they were an unreached peoples, meaning um, they had yet to have a church or a, a real established witness amongst them. Um, the Mwani were um, Islamic in background. Um, they were fishermen. The other people group in our town were the Makonde. They had gone more with the Portuguese who had colonized Africa, or uh, colonized Mozambique, sorry, and they <coughs> were more Catholic in name. So the two people group in our people groups living in our town were um, Islamic and Catholic. So in in religion, of course, they were in opposition. Then, if you were to be um, Mwani, you went with one of the political um, groups that was in the country, and if you were to be Makonde, you went with the other political group. So these people were enemies, except that one were fishermen, and the other were businessmen. So they got along because they helped each other out economically. Well, on this particular moment, um, there was a political um, election. And, of course, no one was happy. And the people that we were surrounded by and focused on um, were had lost the, their 
um, election, and so they took up arms. They they actually took over the police station somehow. A group of them went in and took all the guns that they could get their hands on somehow, um, and it became all out mass chaos because um, the Makonde were the traditional warriors of of Mozambique. So they came out with with spears, machetes. And these guys had some guns, but also just whatever they had in their hands. I remember seeing um, some friends of ours, he was a carpenter, and he had these huge screwdrivers. I mean, like, whatever you could grab was what people were marching out with. Um, And I have three little ones. My youngest was a year old, um, and my daughter was turning four. I remember it so clearly because... There's something in a mom that says, I, God gave me that because um, everything else was chaos, but I was not going to miss celebrating my daughter's birthday. I was baking her a cake. And so I had my kids in a closet in our bedroom. I'd put um, a mattress down on the floor, found whatever books and toys, had them in the closet. I was trying to make it like something fun. Um, gunshots are going off. All our neighbors are starting to run to us because we're neutral. And so they're thinking, let's get in their yard, their house, because they're neutral. And I'm thinking everybody out there is going to think we're harboring people and they're coming for us. Um, and so we had about 80 people. I mean, literally, we could look, we had a bamboo fence. So all of a sudden, a mattress would come up over the fence. Anything that was valuable to anyone, someone had a TV, it was coming over the fence. Um, children <laughs> slung over the fence and people were grabbing them by one arm, you know, and yanking them down. And our whole yard everywhere was filled up with people and with stuff. And and so you can just picture this with me. Um, I'm running from the stove because I am baking my cake. I don't know. That just overtook me. But And then I'm running to the closet to check on my kids. I'm checking on my neighbors outside. Um, <coughs> Steve is in chaos with everybody as well, trying to help people, trying to um, interact with whatever, find out what the news is, what's going on. Mass chaos. The few weeks before that in our homeschooling, I've been reading some stories to my kids from a book called Missionary Stories with the Millers. In these stories, these missionaries went through such difficult experiences and found these incredible, peaceful experiences where God comes over them and gives them some supernatural peace. And I'm in the middle of this and thinking, any second now, something's going to come over me and I'm going to be okay. And I was not okay. I was sheer terror. I thought that any second, those people, I could see through the slats in our bamboo fence Men were walking by with machetes. They stopped to sharpen their machetes on our well right outside our house. And I was ready any second to have them break through our door. Um, I was shaking in fear. Um, God gave me things to keep me going because, you know, my, my girl needed a cake. And people needed me outside, and I was cooking food to try to take care of everybody else. Um, but I was shaken. And I'd already come to that point. Remember, I was already at a breaking point of discouragement, feeling like I can't do this job. After a um, couple days, things the military came in, secured the roads. Um, we had, you know, we fed whatever we could feed. People were starting to go back to their homes. 
and we decided we need to get out for a little bit, take a break. And I went through a total crisis of faith. I said, okay, Lord, I can't do this job as a missionary. I'm certainly failing my children because I'm barely making it through my days. I'm certainly failing my husband. And now I didn't receive anything from you that I thought I was supposed to get. So maybe there's something wrong with my faith. Maybe maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I don't know what's wrong. And I went through this complete loss in me. I was exhausted in spirit and in mind and in heart. And I wanted to give up and go find my mom and go home. And Steve was sharing in a church um, while we were down in this other town. Um, and he got up to share in the morning and told the story of what had happened in Mosimbabwe. And as he shared the story, God gave me a picture. I saw the wings of God had covered our yard, this bamboo fence, and all our neighbors. And it, it hit me that nobody in our yard that we know of were followers of Jesus. Nobody. <coughs> but not one of them lost their lives. Not one of them had their homes burned. We had over 100 homes burned that we counted around our our area, right around us. None of those people lost their homes, and their things were with us, and they were safe. And none of them were followers of Jesus. And none of them were safe because of my faith, because I was a shaking wreck. All of them were safe because the Spirit of God was there. And I suddenly realized... That obedience was simply saying, okay, Lord, I'll live in this little spot in the world. You fill me up. You are here present. So if I'm living here in this little spot in the world, I'm obeying you and you can do your work and shine. God was faithful. God was shining, not because of me, because of him, because of who he was. And that changed my whole perspective on the word missionary or whatever those words are. I don't like them sometimes. We're just living, knowing who this God is, discovering him. And then we say, yeah, come along. I want to invite you to discover who we know, who this God is. And from that point on, I began just daily saying, God, If all I can do is be here where you've asked me to be, okay. But you extend your grace. I saw those wings of God extending his grace, extending his grace. And I just began to pray that prayer. You extend your grace. You be light. You be truth. You are why we're here. And God gave me that early on so that as all the crises later, he would remind me again. And he continues to remind us. He is our light. He is the one we're working for. Mzee Alidi was a blind beggar who was stuck in both physical and spiritual darkness. So every Friday morning, uh, where we lived in Africa, in Mozambique, in a Muslim context, Friday was the day that alms were given to the poor. And so we would have uh, maybe 40, 50 people lined up at our gate on like 7 o'clock in the morning, ready. We would usually give them some bread and some tea, and Sharon would usually share a Bible story with them. Now, Mzea Lidi would come into our yard a little bit later in the day. I think he felt like he had some special privileges. Being led by his chain-smoking wife, 
into our yard and they would sit down on the steps under the mango tree outside in our yard. And Sharon and I would come out and talk with them a little bit and, and, uh, he would usually, you know, te- he was a very colorful, funny guy, had lots of stories to share. And at some point, Sharon would go back in the house and come back with a bag of rice and maybe a little jar of oil and hand it over to them. And, uh, and then, Mzealidi would, you know, feel it and ask his wife a couple questions. And then sometimes he got to the point where he'd be, well, I, I need some toothpaste and um, I don't have a good pair of pants. And he started getting a little more more demanding. And to be honest, my attitude wasn't that great. When Mzealidi would come into our yard, sometimes I felt like, oh boy, here we go. Well, one day especially, because he came in and he said, I want to join your religion. Now, I'm thinking red flags. He's going to ask for something really big today. (laughs) But I decided, well, he's opened the door. I'm going to go through and talk to him to explain what it means to be a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean to join a religion. It means to have a relationship with Jesus and to trust in Him and to know Him and to follow after Him. And so I was sharing these verses with Mzealidi. And at some point, I came to the end and I said, Mzealidi, what is it that's brought you to this point? He said, I had a dream last night, and in my dream, I saw a bright light, and I saw two angels, and the angels told me that the path of Isa, which is Jesus in their language, is the path of truth, and that I should come and speak to the missionary about that. And I got goosebumps from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I was very humbled by my bad attitude about Mzealidi. Mzealidi did come to faith. I don't know where he is right now because the war has come to the town where we used to live and he probably had to scatter. I'm not even sure if he's alive, but he became a Christ follower. It's really interesting that in the Muslim world, God often uses dreams and he often uses this metaphor of light. And I think it's because that is core to who God is. He is light. God shines into the hearts of man. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you may be wondering, but hold on. Hold on, missionary Steve. Uh, you said that you or we are the light of the world. Now, Christ is saying that I am the light of the world. Now, which one is it? Is it, is it us or is it Jesus? And the truth is that if I look at myself, in and of myself, Steve Entwistle, I don't feel like I have a whole lot of light to offer humanity. I'm not a great beam of hope. I'm probably not going to find the, the solution to cancer. I've joked that if it was just me and my clones, we'd still be rubbing sticks. We wouldn't even have fire yet, let alone computers and all the advanced things that this world has to offer. But Jesus living in me makes me become the light of the world. Inasmuch as I reflect Christ to the world, I become the light of the world. And because of that light living inside of me, I have great and wonderful things, transformational power of God to offer to humanity. Not because of me, but because of Christ in me. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says that, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? So for every one of us today who are in Christ, the light of the world, who is Jesus, 
is in you. And he is the one who is going to shine out of you as much as you will allow him to shine. He will shine. Now, I want us to notice from our getting back to our passage again, it says toward the end, it says, let your light shine. And I think it's an interesting word. Let your light shine. It's not muster up your light and get out there. It's not generate some light and go make a difference. No, it's not even wait until you feel light like. Now, I don't know about you, but often I don't feel very light-like. I'm not feeling every day that I wake up and I'm ready to go shine for Jesus every day. There's times and there's even seasons in our lives when we go through dark valleys. And I can tell you that the last few years have been a very difficult time for me personally. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, I love to be in, in the bush in Africa. I love learning new languages. I love uh, helping people learn about Christ. I love coming alongside of, of existing churches and helping fan into flame their gifts and see them get out there and share their faith with other people as well. And it's been a season for us of pulling away from that and focusing first on the Rafale Academy so we could be closer to our son Josiah and now coming back to the United States to be closer to family. There's some family needs that have, have brought us here. And so I've had to dial back some of those maybe passions that I, that I have, some of those gifts that I feel that God has given to me. Uh, it's also been a hard season. I lost my dad. Uh, I used to just, oh, I still do. I love sports, and it's been a time of realizing this body isn't what it used to be. I'm not quite as quick as I used to be on the basketball court. Don't hit it quite as far as I used to on the golf course. And so in all these ways, I think that it has been a hard time for me. It's been, maybe you could say, a dark time for me. And maybe some of you can identify with that out here, feeling like I don't always feel very light-like. But I think, you know what the good news is? I think the good news is that if we will allow Christ to continue shining through us, even through those dark times, that He is going to be glorified in and through us. And maybe even more glorified, maybe that light will shine even more brightly because of the pain and the tears and the loss. I'm going to say that one more time. Maybe the light will shine even more brightly because of the pain and the tears and the loss. Maybe there's somebody, a fellow sufferer, a sojourner on this earth who doesn't know Christ yet, that you are going to identify in a more specific way because of the loss and the pain that you have been going through. So don't disqualify yourself just because you don't feel like the light or just because maybe you don't wake up one day feeling light-like. No, the light is already in you. It's our job to let Jesus' light shine out of us. So how do we do that? We do that according to our text. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So what are these good deeds? As we walk in right relationship with Jesus, and I know your church has been focused on the word dwell, as we abide in Christ, I think it is only going to be natural that that light is going to shine out through acts of kindness, through acts of love. I hear what your church is doing to reach out to people in this neighborhood and, and to the hurricane victims. Wonderful opportunities for you to shine the gospel of Christ to those who might need it the most. So these acts are ways that we shine God's light to others, both through actions and, of course, through words as well. 
So what is the application for us today? There's two things that I want us to walk away with today. First of all, I want us to know that being the light of the world means that we are to be missional, intentional agents of redemption in a spiritually dark world. Each one of us has a responsibility to move toward the darkness. Now, it's it's not in us normally to want to do that. We want to stay where it's safe, maybe in a Christian bubble or in our family, or just stay in our house and not get out to our neighbors. But God is calling each and every one of us to move toward the darkness. That's uncomfortable. But I want each of us to think about and pray, who is it that God may be laying on our hearts today? Is it a coworker? Is it maybe somebody in your own family that you need to take up that mantle and pray for more diligently and look for ways, opportunities to share God's love with them? Maybe God is going to move you to the mission field to Africa somewhere or to some other place in the world. There are still many unreached people groups on this globe. And we have a task as the church of God to reach out to these people and shine the light. You know, uh, whenever I would share in the context in Africa, I loved my favorite Bible passage was Mark chapter 5 because it was the story of Jesus going across the lake with the storm. His disciples are in the boat and Jesus calms the storm. And then they arrive on the other side of, of the lake and they meet the demoniac. And this man that the rest of the town people had just tried to keep away from them. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with this man. He screamed. He he, he, you know, cut himself. He kept breaking the, the chains and the ropes whenever they tried to tie him up and he, he just wandered the graves in that area. And I would use these illustrations of Jesus casting out the demons from that man and calming the sea to show the power of Isa, the power of Jesus, uh, over these, uh, the demonic world and the natural world. But as I was preparing for this sermon, this passage came to my mind and I realized the whole point of Jesus getting over there was so that he could be the light and shine into the life of that man. He loved that man so much. He wanted that man to come to Christ and to know him and to become a follower and to become his ambassador to those townspeople. Because of his love for that demoniac, he went through all of that. And you see that throughout the life of Christ, don't we? We see him doing that with a Samaritan woman, with Zacchaeus going to his home. Christ intentionally sought out those who were lost. And that's the challenge for us today as well. Are you ready to go to the darkness? Are you ready to go and be the light of Christ? You know, it's the same principles, whether you're, you're living on the mission field in Africa or whether you're reaching out to the people on the streets of St. Petersburg, your job is to go to them and then you need to learn whatever you can to be uh, strategic, to be uh, relevant so that you can share God's love in a way that makes sense to them. Just as I try to learn language and culture in Africa to be relevant to the people group we're working with, that's the same thing God is asking you to do with those people that he may be placing on your heart who are living in darkness today. It's the same thing. It's love people strategically and love them lavishly. So that's the first thing. Is God calling you to go to a specific area of darkness? The second thing I want you to walk away with is to trust that it is Jesus himself shining through you. It is not up to you to muster up the light or to generate the light. Christ already is that light. Your job is is to reflect Jesus to a spiritually lost and dying world. 
So faith, I want you to consider that God has created you specifically to be the light of the world in St. Petersburg. Go out and be the light that you were created to be. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.